Hi, I'm MC Jesse. 大家好，读你听二点零，今日继续读 Miguel de Cervantes 嘅《Don Quixote》。今日读到第二十四节啦，个名叫做《In Which Is Continued the Adventure of the Sierra Morena》。咁我哋喺呢个山谷入面咧 ，Don Quixote 同 Sancho 咧就执到一个旅行袋啦，一个袋包啦，咁入面就揾到一啲诗歌啲情诗啊。发现咗一个行踪神秘嘅人，近乎系冇衫着啊，亦都睇到佢系冇嘢食嘅，流落咗喺呢个山谷入面。之后遇到牧羊者咧，就话呢啲咁嘅物品啊、死马咧，都系流浪者所拥有嘅曾经。但系咧，佢可能佢嘅神志失常啊，会成日袭击啲牧羊者啊，抢粮食啊咁样。咁啊，讲落去啦，都好似听咁，牧羊者咧就好心。系谂住咧，要捉住呢个流浪汉咧，就带佢去城入面咧，就揾医生医佢。都唔知啊，究竟系情绪病啊，定系精神病啊？吓，总之就系要医佢啦。当乔阿提听到咧，就好向往吓，对呢件事咧就好显生到佢嗰个骑士精神啊！咁决定咧都要出手相助。我哋睇呢节故事嘅发展系点先，跟住我嚟交俾 Costa 同大家读嚟听。The history relates that it was the greatest attention Don Quixote listened to the ragged knight of the Sierra, who began by saying, "Of a surety, Señor, whoever you are, for I know you not, I thank you for the proofs of kindness and courtesy you have shown me. And would I were in a condition to requite with something more than goodwill that which you have displayed towards me in the cordial reception you have given me, but my fate does not afford me any other means of returning kindnesses than me save the hearty desire to repay them." Mine," replied Don Quixote, "is to be of service to you, so much so that I had resolved not to quit these mountains until I have found you, and learn of you whether there is any kind of relief to be found for that sorrow under which, in the strangeness of your life, you seem to labour, and to search for you with all possible diligence, if search had been necessary, and if your misfortune should prove to be one of those that refuse admission to any sort of consolation, it was my purpose to join you in lamenting and mourning over it." So far as I could, for it is still some comfort in misfortune to find one who can feel for it. And if my good intentions deserve to be acknowledged with any kind of courtesy, I entreat you, Signor, by that which I perceive you possess in so high a degree, and likewise conjure you by whatever you love or have loved best in life, to tell me who you are and the cause that has brought you to live and die in these solitudes like a brute beast. Dwelling among them in a manner so foreign to your condition as your garb and appearance show, and I swear," added Don Quixote, "by the order of knighthood which I have received, and by my vocation of knight errant, if you gratify me in this, to serve you with all the zeal my calling demands of me, either in relieving your misfortune if it admits of relief, or in joining you in lamenting it as I promised to do." The knight of the thicket, hearing him of the rueful countenance, talk in this strain. Did nothing but stare at him, and stare at him again, and again survey him from head to foot. And when he had thoroughly examined him, he said to him, "If you have anything to give me to eat, for God's sake, give it to me. And after I have eaten, I will do all you ask in acknowledgment of the good will you have displayed towards me." Sancho from his sack and the goatherd from his pouch furnished the ragged one with the means of appeasing his hunger. And what they gave him, he ate like a half-witted being, so hastily that he took no time between mouthfuls. Gorging rather than swallowing, and while he ate, neither he nor they who observed him uttered a word. As soon as he had done, he made signs to them to follow him, which they did, and he led them to a green plot which lay a little farther off round the corner of a rock. 
On reaching it, he stretched himself upon the grass, and the others did the same, all keeping silence until the ragged one, settling himself in his place, said, "If it is your wish, sirs, that I should disclose in a few words the surpassing extent of my misfortunes." You must promise not to break the thread of my sad story with any question or other interruption. For the instant you do so, the tale I tell will come to an end. These words of the ragged one reminded Don Quixote of the tale his squire had told him, when he failed to keep count of the goats that had crossed the river and the story remained unfinished. But to return to the ragged one, he went on to say, "I give you this warning because I wish to pass briefly over the story of my misfortunes, for recalling them to memory only serves to add fresh ones." And the less you question me, the sooner shall I make an end of the recital. Though I shall not omit to relate anything of importance in order fully to satisfy your curiosity, Don Quixote gave the promise for himself and the others, and with this assurance he began as follows: My name is Cardenio, my birthplace one of the best cities of this Andalusia, my family noble, my parents rich, my misfortune so great that my parents must have wept. And my family grieved over it without being able, by their wealth, to lighten it. For the gifts of fortune can do little to relieve reverses sent by heaven. In that same country, there was a heaven in which love had placed all the glory I could desire, which was the beauty of Lucinda, a damsel as noble and as rich as I, but of happier fortunes and of less firmness than was due to so worthy a passion as mine. This Lucinda I loved, worshipped, and adored from my earliest and tenderest years. And she loved me in all the innocence and sincerity of childhood. Our parents were aware of our feelings and were not sorry to perceive them, for they saw clearly that as they ripened, they must lead at least to a marriage between us—a thing that seemed almost prearranged by the equality of our families and wealth. We grew up, and with our growth grew the love between us, so that the father of Lucinda felt bound, for propriety's sake, to refuse me admission to his house. In this, perhaps imitating the parents of that Thisbe, so celebrated by the poets, and this refusal, but added love to love and flame to flame. For though they enforced silence upon our tongues, they could not impose it upon our pens, which can make known the heart's secrets to a loved one more freely than tongues. For many a time, the presence of the objects of love shakes the firmest will and strikes dumb the boldest tongue. Ah, heavens! How many letters did I write her? And how many dainty, modest replies did I receive? How many ditties and love songs did I compose in which my heart declared and made known its feelings, described its ardent longings, revelled in its recollections, and dallied with its desires? At length, growing impatient and feeling my heart languishing with longing to see her, I resolved to put into execution and carry out what seemed to me the best mode of winning my desired and merited reward—to ask her of her father for my lawful wife, which I did. To this, his answer was that he thanked me for the disposition I showed to do honor to him and to regard myself as honored by the bestowal of his treasure, but that as my father was alive, it was his by right to make this demand. For if it were not in accordance with his full will and pleasure, Dzinda was not to be taken or given by stealth. I thanked him for his kindness, reflecting that there was reason in what he said, and that my father would assent to it as soon as I should tell him. And with that view, I went the very same instant to let him know what my desires were. Where I entered the room where he was, I found him with an open letter in his hand, which, before I could utter a word, he gave me, saying, "By this letter, thou wilt see, Cardenio, the disposition the Duke Ricardo has to serve thee. This Duke Ricardo, as you, sirs, 
probably know already is a grandee of Spain who has his seat in the best part of this Andalusia. I took and read the letter, which was couched in terms so flattering that even I myself felt it would be wrong in my father not to comply with the request the duke made in it, which was that he would send me immediately to him, as he wished me to become the companion, not servant, of his eldest son. And would take upon himself the charge of placing me in a position corresponding to the esteem in which he held me. On reading the letter, my voice failed me, and still more when I heard my father say, "Two days hence thou wilt depart, Cardenio, in accordance with the duke's wish, and give thanks to God who is opening a road to thee by which thou mayest attain what I know thou dost deserve." And to these words he added others of fatherly counsel. The time for my departure arrived. I spoke one night to Lucinda. I told her all that had occurred, as I did also to her father, entreating him to allow some delay and to defer the disposal of her hand until I could see what the Duke Ricardo thought of me. He gave me the promise, and she confirmed it with vows and swoonings unnumbered. Finally, I presented myself to the Duke and was received and treated by him so kindly that very soon envy began to do its work. The old servants growing envious of me. And regarding the duke's inclination to show me favor as an injury to themselves, but the one to whom my arrival gave the greatest pleasure was the duke's second son, Fernando by name, a gallant youth of noble, generous, and amorous disposition, who very soon made so intimate a friend of me that it was remarked by everybody. For though the elder was attached to me and showed me kindness, he did not carry this affectionate treatment to the same length as Don Fernando. It so happened then that as between friends no secret remains unshared, and as the favor I enjoyed with Don Fernando had grown into friendship, he made all his thoughts known to me, and in particular a love affair which troubled his mind little. He was deeply in love with a peasant girl, a vassal of his father's, the daughter of wealthy parents, and herself so beautiful, modest, discreet, and virtuous that no one who knew her was able to decide in which of these respects she was most highly gifted or most excelled. The attractions of the fair peasant raised the passion of Don Fernando to such a point that, in order to gain his object and overcome her virtuous resolutions, he determined to pledge his word to her to become her husband. For to attempt it in any other way was to attempt an impossibility. Bound to him as I was by friendship, I strove by the best arguments and the most forcible examples I could think of to restrain and dissuade him from such a course. But perceiving I produced no effect, I resolved to make the Duke Ricardo, his father, acquainted with the matter. But Don Fernando, being sharp-witted and shrewd, foresaw and apprehended this. Perceiving that by my duty as a good servant, I was bound not to keep concealed things so much opposed to the honor of my lord the Duke, and so to mislead and deceive me, he told me he could find no better way of effacing from his mind the beauty that so enslaved him than by absenting himself for some months. And that he wished the absence to be effected by our going, both of us, to my father's house under the pretense which he would make to the duke, of going to see and buy some fine horses that were in my city, which produces the best in the world. When I heard him say so, even if his resolution had not been so good a one, I should have hailed it as one of the happiest that could be imagined. Prompted by my affection, seeing what a favorable chance of opportunity it offered me of returning to see Madocinda, with this thought and wish, I commended this idea and encouraged his design, advising him to put it into execution as quickly as possible, as in truth, absence produces its effect in spite of the most deeply rooted feelings. 
But as afterwards appeared, when he said this to me, he had already enjoyed the peasant girl under the title of husband, and was waiting for an opportunity of making it known with safety to himself, being in dread of what his father the duke would do when he came to know of his folly. It happened then that as with young men, love is for the most part nothing more than appetite, which, as its final object is enjoyment, comes to an end on obtaining it, and that which seemed to be love takes to flight, as it cannot pass the limit fixed by nature. Which fixes no limit to true love. What I mean is that after Don Fernando had enjoyed his peasant girl, his passion subsided and his eagerness cooled. And if at first he feigned a wish to absent himself in order to cure his love, he was now in reality anxious to go to avoid keeping his promise. The Duke gave him permission and ordered me to accompany him. We arrived in my city, and my father gave him the reception due to his rank. I saw Rosinda without delay, and though it had not been dead or undeadened. My love gathered fresh life. To my sorrow, I told the story of it to Don Fernando, for I thought that in virtue of the great friendship he bore me, I was bound to conceal nothing from him. I extolled her beauty, her gaiety, her wit so warmly that my praises excited in him a desire to see a damsel adorned by such attractions. To my misfortune, I yielded to it, showing her to him one night by the light of a taper at a window where we used to talk to one another. As she appeared to him in her dressing gown, she drove all the beauties he had seen until then out of his recollection. Speech failed him; his head turned; he was spellbound, and in the end, love smitten, as you will see in the course of the story of my misfortune. And to inflame still further his passion, which he hid from me and revealed to heaven alone, it so happened that one day he found a note of hers entreating me to demand of her father in marriage, so delicate, so modest, and so tender that on reading it he told me that in Lucinda alone were combined all the charms of beauty and understanding that were distributed among all the other women in the world. It is true, and I own it now, that though I knew what good cause Don Fernando had to praise Lucinda. It gave me uneasiness to hear these praises from his mouth, and I began to fear, and with reason to feel distrust of him, for there was no moment when he was not ready to talk of Lucinda, and he would start the subject himself, even though he dragged it in unseasonably. A circumstance that aroused in me a certain amount of jealousy, not that I feared any change in the constancy of faith of Lucinda, but still my fate led me to forebode what she assured me against. Don Fernando contrived always to read the letters I sent to Lucinda and her answers to me, under the pretense that he enjoyed the wit and sense of both. It so happened then that Lucinda, having begged of me a book of chivalry to read, one that she was very fond of, Amadis of Gaul. Don Quixote no sooner heard the book of chivalry mentioned than he said, "Had your worship told me at the beginning of your story that Lady Lucinda was fond of books of chivalry, no other laudation would have been requisite to impress upon me the superiority of her understanding, for it could not have been of the excellence you describe had a taste for such delightful reading been wanting. So, as far as I am concerned, you need waste no more words in describing her beauty, worth, and intelligence." For on merely hearing what her taste was, I declare her to be the most beautiful and the most intelligent woman in the world, and I wish your worship had, along with Amadis of Gaul, sent her the worthy Don Rugo of Greece. For I know the Lady Lucinda would greatly relish Darida and Garaya, and the shrewd sayings of the shepherd Darino, and the admirable verses of his Bucolics, sung and delivered by him with such sprightliness, wit, and ease. But a time may come when this omission can be remedied. And to rectify it, nothing more is needed than for your worship to be so good as to come with me to my village, 
For then I can give you more than three hundred books, which are the delight of my soul and the entertainment of my life. Though it occurs to me that I have not got one of them now, thanks to the spite of wicked and envious enchanters. But pardon me for having broken the promise we made not to interrupt your discourse. For when I hear Shivery or Knight's Errand mentioned, I can no more help talking about them than the rays of the sun can help giving heat, or those of the moon moisture. Pardon me, therefore, and proceed, for that is more to the purpose now. While Don Quixote was saying this, Cardenio allowed his head to fall upon his breast and seemed plunged in deep thought. And though twice Don Quixote bade him go on with his story, he neither looked up nor uttered a word in reply. But after some time, he raised his head and said, "I cannot get rid of the idea, nor will any one in the world remove it or make me think otherwise." And he would be a blockhead who would hold or believe anything else than that that errant knave, Master Elisbad, made free with Queen Madasima. That is not true, by all that's good," said Don Quixote in high wrath, turning upon him angrily, as his way was. And it is a very great slander, or rather villainy. Queen Madasima was a very illustrious lady, and it is not to be supposed that so exalted a princess would have made free with a quack. And whoever maintains the contrary lies like a great scoundrel, and I will give him to know it, on foot or on horseback, armed or unarmed, by night or by day, or as he likes best. Cardenio was looking at him steadily, and his mad fit having now come upon him, he had no disposition to go on with his story, nor would Don Quixote have listened to it. So much had what he had heard about Madasima disgusted him. Strange to say, he stood up for her as if she were in earnest his veritable-born lady. To such a pass had his unholy books brought him. Cardenio, then being, as I said, now mad, when he heard himself given the lie and called a scoundrel and other insulting names, not relishing the jest, snatched up a stone that he found near him, and with it delivered such a blow on Don Quixote's breast that he laid him on his back. Sancho Panza, seeing his master treated in this fashion, attacked the madman with his closed fist. But the ragged one received him in such a way that, with a blow of his fist, he stretched him at his feet, and then mounted upon him, crushed his ribs to his own satisfaction. The goatherd, who came to the rescue, shared the same fate, and having beaten and pummeled them all, he left them and quietly withdrew to his hiding place on the mountain. Sancho rose, and with the rage he felt at finding himself so belaboured without deserving it, ran to take vengeance on the goatherd, accusing him of not giving them warning that this man was at times taken with a mad fit. For if they had known it, they would have been on their guard to protect themselves. The goatherd replied that he had said so, and that if he had not heard him, that was no fault of his. Sancho retorted, and the goatherd rejoined. And the altercation ended in their seizing each other by the beard and exchanging such fistcuffs that if Don Quixote had not made peace between them, they would have knocked one another to pieces. Leave me alone, Sir Knight of the Rueful Countenance," said Sancho, grappling with the goatherd. "For of this fellow, who is a clown like myself and no duke knight, I can safely take satisfaction for the affront he has offered me, fighting with him hand to hand like an honest man." That is true," said Don Quixote. "But I know that he is not to blame for what has happened." With this, he pacified them, and again asked the goatherd if it would be possible to find Cardenio, as he felt the greatest anxiety to know the end of his story. The goatherd told him, as he had told him before, that there was no knowing of the certainty where his lair was, but that if he wandered about much in that neighborhood, he could not fail to fall in with him either in or out of his senses. Guys, I caught that. 好，呢一节读到呢一度。
終於發現咗流浪者啦，咁佢個名就卡丁牛，佢似乎咧就有一個戀人啦，咁啊青梅竹馬啦，亦都算係門當户對嘅。咁但係陳家咧就拒絕婚約嘅請求啦，對佢開咗啲好苛刻嘅條件啦。咁啊其中要求咧就係佢要做呢個陳家嘅太子嘅侍從啦，咁啊要陪住佢啊，照顧佢啊咁。咁亦都係因為呢樣嘢咧。佢亦都陰差陽錯，佢介紹咗自己嘅外人俾呢個人識，咁而呢個人咧即時就深深愛上咗佢自己嘅初戀情人。呢、這個卡丁人都感受到啦，都感到非常之妒忌同不安啊。而就喺呢個時候咧，當喜多提就插口啦，佢知道咗呢個青梅竹馬咧，竟然就中意睇啲騎士主題嘅書，咁咧就插口啦，就話啊，你中意睇本書啊？哎，咁你唔使講啦，佢一定係一個靚女。而且咧系聪明绝顶啊，乜乜乜啊，你做咩都应该要为佢啊，啊唔单止俾本书去睇啊，仲要俾埋本书俾佢睇啊，诸如此类。咁咧，如是者咧，卡丁尼昂咧就同当乔提咧，啲问呢啲咁嘅书咧就起咗争执，继而当武，亦继而咧呢、這个卡丁尼昂咧仲要打低埋阿 Central 啦，打低埋阿高向，咁然之后就扬长而去啊，走翻去佢山上嘅斗后。咁咧，佢哋都唔知道佢匿埋在边。呢、這个牧羊者咧都只能够同我哋讲。其實我一早就有警告你哋我唔係冇警告過你嘅，佢隨時會發癲嘅嚇，佢將我哋打到咁傷咧，真係都可以話自己攞嚟噶，唔係似嘅身狀，非常之高興。好，我哋睇下呢節有啲咩字同大家分享。requite，requite 動詞嚟嘅 ，r e q u i t e，make appropriate return for 啊，呢、這個文中一開頭就睇到嘅 ，efface，efface。Efface 动词嚟嘅，意思即系 erase from a surface， 又或者 make oneself appear insignificant or inconspicuous。Efface 嗱，最后一个字 illustrious，illustrious，i l l u s t r i o u s， 形容词嚟嘅 ，well known, respected, and admired for past achievements。喺文章末段咧就提到呢一个。人物嘅啊，叫做 Queen Madasima。咁咧，呢個 Cardinal 咧就話呢個 Madasima 就唔係唔係啲咩好嘢啦嚇。咁但係當橋一提咧就話呢個 Queen Madasima 係最好嘅，係 illustrious 嘅，係受尊敬、受到尊崇嘅人物，就唔可以講係壞話。就因為呢個人物咧，佢兩個係嘅好過。OK， 我哋下一次再同大家讀你聽，拜拜。If you like this video, make sure to comment, like. Share and subscribe to our channel. Until next time.